I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Candace Lem. And you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And today we have a special treat. We're bringing you a very fun episode from our friends over at What Next TBD Podcast. In this episode, host Lizzie O'Leary brings in Ashley Carmen, a Bloomberg news reporter who covers the podcasting, music, and audio beat. The two discuss how the music streaming business has opened the door to billions of dollars in fraud. Mm-hmm. And without further ado, here's the show. I started my interview with Ashley Carmen by asking her to listen to a song, or rather, a clip of a song. So, do you do you know what that was? <laughs> yes, I, I am <laughs> very well aware. <laughs> Can you tell me what it was? Yes. So it's a song called Hey Kids by an artist named Molina. She's a Danish Chilean singer. And Ashley knows the song because it was a key part of a story she just wrote. Ashley covers all things audio for Bloomberg News. I asked her to humor me and listen to another clip. What's this one? So that's the same song, Hey Kids, but it's sped up. If you wanted Hey Kids on a streaming service like Spotify and found that track, it might seem like the Molina song, but it's not. Someone else, not the singer, not the music label, is making money when you listen to it. I met the co-owners of the label that Molina is signed to. They are from Denmark. And their independent label, they, uh, we were chatting because they were saying they kind of had this thorn in their side where they were really happy. This song, Hey Kids, was doing great. It was like reaching incredible numbers on streaming services and by all accounts, like a great hit for them. What they didn't realize up until, you know, maybe a year and a half after that success was that actually a bunch of folks were uploading sped up versions of the song to the streaming services, thereby taking royalties away from Molina and the label. It's a process that often starts on TikTok. A sped up or altered song works great on a platform that's all about remixing, recreating, and repeating. And it is shockingly easy to make and distribute the full altered version and get paid. You know, back in the day, if you wanted to distribute your music to like a CD store or record store, whatever, you went through distributors and it was just like a clunkier system because it wasn't a digital world where anyone could stream any song. Now the music industry has this kind of DIY marketplace with distributors who basically anyone can pay to distribute their music. So some examples are like DistroKid, TuneCore, CD Baby. You and I can make music and upload to the same exact services that every label does and have our music heard by anybody. Um, and so in that world, if someone just speeds up a song and wants to upload it, they can Today on the show, how the music streaming business opened the door to billions of dollars in fraud. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around.
Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. The music streaming business works like this. The major streamers have big pools of royalties. If you're an artist, you get some percentage of the pool when someone clicks on and streams your song. So there's a big incentive to drive traffic to songs. And where there is money to be made in clicks, schemes follow. More traditionally, we would think about streaming manipulation. So like bot networks playing a song over and over or directing traffic to a song or artist in an effort to drive more streams, possibly to raise the profile of an artist or, yeah, in some cases to financially benefit. Can you walk me through the different examples of of fraud you came across in your reporting? Yeah. So one is the sped up songs, which people upload different versions of tracks that they do not have the copyright to and potentially benefit from that financially. The other is kind of a different type of scam, I guess I would say, which isn't necessarily financially motivated, but is still a challenge for independent managers and artists, which is DIY creators might upload a song to a distribution service And instead of it being like Ashley's song, maybe I tag in an artist bigger than myself. So I specifically cite an artist named Clams Casino. So if I tag Clams Casino and you are a Clams Casino listener, maybe your Spotify Discover Weekly is going to be like, hey, guess what? There's a new Clams Casino song out. doesn't matter that it's not actually Clams Casino and it's Ashley's song. And then there's, of course, I just discussed a little bit about bot manipulation. So just highlighting that, yes, bot networks are still out there and definitely still driving traffic to artists. Who's behind all of these different types of fraud? It's tough to say. I spoke with the co-founders of a company called BeatDap, which specializes in fraud detection on like streaming services and for labels. And they say the vast majority of the fraud that they detect is financially motivated. So in those cases, they obviously believe it is mostly just people looking to make money that are perpetuating that fraud. It's possible, of course, that in bot networks, maybe it's a label team or an artist team, unintentionally or not, wanting to drive some traffic or get some promotion behind an artist. It could be a person who just likes a sped up version of a song or a slowed down version or whatever type of version they like, And the label hasn't officially put that out. And maybe they just want to listen to it. Or even in some cases, it could be a leak of a song that they heard. And they're like, I want to hear this. And I want to be able to access it where I listen to my music. So they just upload it. Um, It's tough to say what the motivations are in those cases. But 
yeah, it can be different people in different parties. It's an incredibly complicated sounding ecosystem. Yeah, I would say so. (laughs) Ashley says it's still hard to put an exact figure on how widespread streaming fraud is, but it's clearly sucking money out of the royalty pool. Yeah, so this company BeatDap that I mentioned, they really make it their business to detect fraud. And so last year, they estimated that about 10% of streaming activity was fraudulent, which would add up to around $2 billion in revenue being misallocated per year. Um, They told me more recently that they think on some DSPs, that fraud percentage could go up as high as 30%. Um, And then there has also been a report from a government organization in France, which put that stat a little bit lower to 1% and 3% of streams in the country in 2021 specifically. So there's definitely a range. I wouldn't say there's like one stat that everybody is like, yes, this is the truth. BeatDap, who does this work full time, pretty much says like 10%, at least 10% is their estimate. And... You you obviously talk to the label behind Melina. I wonder how artists and labels notice this stuff and, and how they go about responding. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I didn't specifically get into how they had first discovered it, but it did come to their attention at some point. And by the time they realized it, one of the songs had already taken off completely and was doing really, really well. Um, and so then it really becomes this game of whack-a-mole where they have to dedicate time every single week, just looking up the song, trying to find variations and seeing whether it's happening and whether they need to issue a takedown request because they can't really, there's like Spotify as just an example, they say like, isn't detecting the stuff. So they have to be the proactive ones. That sounds like something that's probably pretty easy to do, or maybe not easy, but easier to do if you're a great big label, but pretty hard if you're a small indie one. Yeah, I would imagine if you have the resources, it's a bit easier to spend that time. But that's why these independents, or at least this independent label I spoke to, you know, this is a real issue for them. They're like, we need this money. And yeah, the biggest, the most popular song that they found had over 700,000 plays. So that's pretty substantial, and they were pretty unhappy when they found that. Is there any way to know how much people are getting paid for a sped-up song or a fake song that's, you know, created by generative AI? Like, how much money are we talking about? Um, It's a little tricky because there's not, like, an official, official calculator that you can find. But, like, one calculator I had found online, there's a few that say they do it. I mean, it's just, it's not like the official, official calculator or something like that. So, for example, like, I put in 700,000 plays, and it could have accounted for over $2,000. So, yeah, you can cash some decent checks from this stuff. When we come back, who's supposed to be policing it anyway? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget. 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Lately, the music industry has been focused on fighting songs that are generated by AI and purport to be by artists like Drake. I came in with my ex like Celine of the flats bumping Justin Bieber with a fever and left she knows. But reading Ashley's story, I was struck by how much more insidious these other schemes feel. The ones where a human is just making a little tweak to a song or to how it's tagged they seem harder for the industry to reckon with. I think, at least speaking to folks in this space, my sense is that actually everyone knows this issue exists and it hasn't been talked about as openly. But I just came back actually from a music conference called Music Biz, where there were multiple panels dedicated to fraud and various topics within that. And so I think now the music industry is grappling with the fact that There is a fraud issue. It needs to be dealt with. And I think they're starting to really have those types of conversations to figure it out. Whose responsibility is it? I mean, is it is it Spotify, Apple Music? Like, who is supposed to figure out that this stuff is not what it says it is? I mean, I'm sure, you know, if you're a streaming service, you'll say it's the distributors. And if you say if you're a distributor, you probably say it's the streaming services. And if you're a label, you're probably just like, it's everybody. Not like we, we just want to dealt with. Um, so I don't know that there's a clear answer on that. What I will say is I think there is a bit of a debate in this space right now on the sped up song side, at least, where some folks I speak to say, you know, yes, this happens, but we also kind of are okay with it just because it's marketing. You know, Hmm. like if a song goes viral on TikTok, hopefully it drives streams to the legitimate version and you just got some recognition for this artist or the song more generally. And then I also separately published kind of like an addendum to this piece about how the major labels have responded to the sped up music trend, which is they are operating kind of covert Spotify accounts where that look almost like DJs or something like it almost looks like a DIY creator, but actually it's a label approved account that is uploading the sped up song. So it kind of gives you that like cool factor, but still properly pays the copyright holders. Um, So they're like astroturfed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kind of. And so that almost is even, it's still a strategy, but I would say even more so now there's official remixes that come out. So Ice Spice, as an example, a really popular hot artist right now, she released various versions of her latest single. Like a sped up version. A slow down version. Various versions all at once, just because that way the label slash Ice Spice of the artist is ahead of the trend already. So if you like a sped up version, we got that. If you want a slowed down version, you got that. And I think these artists are more willing to lean into that trend now. Do you think this is all a product of both how we consume music now on these digital platforms, but also how artists and and record labels have, you know, had this kind of whole 
digital ecosystem created for them through which they distribute their music? I definitely think this speaks to, yeah, just the rapidly changing nature of creation tools and consumption. So it is easy to make a set of track from what I understand. Like there's apps that can just do that for you. So the idea of making a track is actually just is democratized. You don't have to necessarily know what you're doing in like a studio to speed up a song. So you have the democratized tools, you have the streaming services that reach basically the entire global population and a model that pays. So I think this kind of is just that perfect combination of all these different things changing pretty rapidly in the music space. And as you mentioned, AI is kind of a similar conversation that's happening right now, which is once again, in the generative AI space, what happens when it's a lot easier for anybody to make a song and how does that change who gets paid? You have talked a bit about TikTok and TikTok as discovery mechanism, sort of gateway in into finding and hearing these songs. Does TikTok have any kind of obligation to stop this or are they, you know, totally out of this conversation? Yeah, I mean, I think TikTok would probably say they are doing good by the music industry because they are really helping discovery is my guess. I, I don't know. I have no yeah. idea what they would say. I didn't go to Exposure. Them. Yeah. ByteDance, TikTok's parent company, has its own streaming service outside the U.S. where it competes with companies like Spotify. What are the odds that, that the labels just go all in on having their own universe, their own streaming platform, you know, this lives in a Waldorf garden that belongs to Universal. Um, I mean, streaming has been very beneficial to the labels. It has helped the majors grow after kind of the piracy era, which is pretty important to them, I would say, especially as publicly offered companies. Um, I don't know. I'm not necessarily banking on it, only because I think that you probably want as many people to hear your music as possible. But, hey, you never know. I think one of the reasons I find this story fascinating is it is both a really interesting business story, but it also gets at this question, this, like, weird Venn diagram of what's creativity, what's a sample, what's a scam, and what's, like, meeting a, an audience where it is, right? If an audience wants that fun, sped-up version— Who's to say they shouldn't get it? Totally. Yeah. And I think that's part of what people are grappling with. And that's why you've seen the majors and, and others put preempt it and say, okay, you guys want sped up versions. We'll give it to you. We got you. And I think that's what you're seeing is a bit more of a response to that. Listening to you, it it is also clear that whatever happens with these sort of different versions of songs, some of which might be owned by a label, some of which might be outright fraud, it, it, it takes advantage of like a built-in inequity in the system that if you're a big label, you can handle a lot of this stuff, but it seems like it's pretty punishing for, for smaller companies. And I wonder if that takes away some of the democratization that you were talking about. Yeah, and I mean, I think 
I assume, again, this is an assumption, not something I've explicitly heard, but I would assume the major labels aren't necessarily happy about this stuff either, which is why they're responding to it directly and putting music out that addresses the trends or operating accounts that are a little more covert with the cool factor, but still is like their account. But yeah, I think when it comes to fraud, what I I specifically name independent managers and an independent label, and I think for them, yeah, their time is valuable and it and dealing with fraud takes them away from the other duties that they need to be doing. So in that sense, yes, I would say anyone can be a musician. You can get your music out there if you want in that sense, but at the same time you're going to probably need a lot more services to keep things running smoothly. Ashley Carmen, thank you for your reporting and for your time. Thanks. Ashley Carmen is a reporter for Bloomberg News, where she covers audio, podcasting, and streaming. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Patrick Fort. Our show is edited by Shannon Paulus. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you are a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. We'll be back next week with more episodes. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening. Listening.